Welcome back. It's Deb Hutton sitting in for Reshmi Nair this week. I say every time I have the opportunity to host that my favorite part of the show is the 4.30 to 5 slot where we have smart speakers join us to talk about the big issues and sometimes the small and fun issues of the day. Joining me this afternoon to do that is Gratin Singh, who is the VP of Crestview Strategy, Community Advocate and Lawyer, and Sarjeet Kaur, who is the co-founder KPW Communications. Welcome to The Rush this afternoon. Hi. Thank you for having us. So we have a new house leader in Ottawa, new government house leader, former whip. His name is Stephen McKinnon. He's an MP from Gatineau. He joined our Vashi Capellos this afternoon to talk about his priorities in terms of what he can do as house leader, get things through the house in Ottawa. Let's listen to Stephen McKinnon with Vashi this afternoon. We understand that there are cost pressures facing Canadians that kind of took us all by surprise. We had a pandemic, then this major run-up in inflation due to the pandemic and a number of other global factors. And uh, the government has, uh, I think, uh, had to deal with that uh, coming on. Very, we had 20 years of basically zero interest rates. So the, the government's had to adjust. It has adjusted. You've seen a number of measures be put forward, both in budgets, fall economic statements, a uh, seminal piece of legislation that was passed with respect to taking the GST off of rental, uh, new construction of rental units and to open up competition issues in uh, in the grocery sector. So some very targeted, specific measures uh, have been put forward and I know more will come. So normally I wouldn't talk about a government house leader's positioning um, for the government. It's a, it's a very functional role, as you both know, uh, whether you're talking about a provincial or or the federal House of Commons. Um, they try to get the government's agenda through. But Stephen today seemed to be doing the rounds on really putting the government's face out there on what to see in 2024. Uh, Grattan, I'll start with you. What's your, your take on what you just heard from the new government house leader? You know, it, it's once again another step in the Liberal government trying to tell people that they're, they're trying their best to help when we know the reality is that it's not doing enough to help people who are struggling right now, be it the cost of groceries, affordability, rent, mortgage, and what the many other issues that people are dealing with right now. The Liberals have had, what is it, eight years? And under their leadership, things are not getting better for everyday folks. The things that are actually getting pushed through are because the NDP are pulling the Liberals, kicking and screaming to where they need to be around dental care, pharmacare, uh, and the variety of other you know uh, social initiatives that the NDP has, have brought forward. So, you know, I, I see what the, what, the, what the Liberals are trying to do right now, but it's, it's not, I don't think it's going to have the effect they want it to have upon the general population. Sarjeet? Um, you know, I, I agree that there are some big things that have been pushed through with the help of the NDP, but I really don't feel like it should be one or the other. They are the government in power. They definitely pushed these um, initiatives, whether it was national daycare, whether it was uh, the dental plan, which I was so happy to see. I went to CRA, logged on to get a document, and they had the little pop-up that you can apply. It was super exciting. And uh, now they're talking about pharmacare. So to say that it's all the NDP, and I give a lot of credit to the NDP for working collaboratively, that's not really fair. And if in eight years they managed to get for Canadians national daycare program, 
dental program, pharmacare program, I would say that is historic and something that, um, you know, everyone can be really proud of heading into the next election versus focusing on some of the negativity that we don't have control over. We can't control a global recession. We can't control a lot of these things that many, many countries are facing and governments are facing. There is a new program that has been launched for Canadians who are trying to get extended family members uh, currently in Gaza here to this country. There will be as many as a thousand visas given out for three-year term. Uh, if you are able to support family members, obviously in the past it's been spouses and children. This new program opens that up to siblings, parents, grandparents, adult children, grandchildren. Uh, as I said, not just spouses. And and children. Some are criticizing the thousand person cap. Others are criticizing that the other side of this, which is that this is uh, an opportunity not given to others who have been perhaps hoping to get family members who are in different types of crisis here to the country. Gratton, I'll just get your general perspective on this new program. Good, bad, or not enough? I think what we're hearing, and it's a bit of a, I was listening to a bit about this, is that the amount of folks that are they're in desperate need that need to get the support and have family members here in Canada who can support them is a smaller number, but that's being attributed to the fact that it's so hard to get folks out of Gaza because of all the, of course, of all the, the conflict there and the, the loss of life and the indiscriminate bombing and, and all the issues that are, are being faced in that uh, region right now. So. Uh, I think uh, more needs to be done, but it sounds like there's limitations onto um, uh, onto and onto there's, there's other factors that are preventing uh, more to be to actually being done. But generally speaking, do you think this is the right approach aside from the challenges of, uh, as you say, getting oh, uh, folks we, out of Gaza? Of course, we we must do everything we can to help anyone in the world. We're Canadians, and what makes us uh, proud to be Canadian is our ability to help people across the world who are facing human rights issues, and we have a responsibility to help individuals in those in those situations. Sarjeet. Yeah, I'd say that, uh, you know, there's always the question of what can we do? What can we do? We don't have the power to stop anything. We don't have, a, you know, ability to stop this war. But this is something that we definitely can do. Canadians are more than capable of uh, receiving 1,000 people who are in a life and death situation. 1,000, I think we're capable of taking more than that, but it's a start. And, um, you know, I hope those people get over here quickly. I know the families have already been trying very hard for months to, to get to this point and every every day matters every minute matters in um, this kind of crisis scenario so I think just much like the way we banded together to welcome Ukrainian refugees during the Russia Ukraine conflict and many many other refugees and then people who are fleeing or really have no choice but to flee in a war situation I think uh, Canadians can do this and they can do it well no concern from either of you that you know this is this is focused on a very yes big very uh, tragic situation in the Middle East and yet there are other situations for which the government has not extended this well I think we have I think this is good sorry go ahead go you go ahead Sarbid. I was just going to say we've we've regularly accepted refugees from Afghanistan, from uh, Syria, from uh, Ukraine. So I'm not sure what what that means, and this is still a very very special circumstance, which is uh, you know not to compare different different 
very tragic circumstances, but uh, it's a very special situation. And uh, we've always we've always accepted refugees and tried to bring people here on humanitarian grounds. I don't think this is anything uh, different or out of the ordinary for Canada. Well, no, except it, it is extending a three-year visa. Um, and as I said, going far beyond what used to be the situation for family reunification, which was usually children and spouses. This is, is much more of an extended family. Garrettin? I was just, I was, the reason I asked you to go ahead is because I, I, I think we were in agreement on this issue. <laughs> uh, is that what we also, what we also see in this situation is that the support is there, right? Like you, there's clearly a human, humanitarian issue uh, that exists right now. And the support, there are families who are ready to receive these individuals. So I think these extenuating circumstances make sense. And actually, the three-year visa is is kind of the trade-off for the fact that it's normally, if it's your spouse or your child, it would be a permanent visa. The three years is, is putting a limit on it, which could suggest that they won't get permanent uh, citizenship. Right. I mean, that is absolutely a fair point. This is our Smart Speakers series. This afternoon, I'm joined by Garatan Singh, who is the VP at Crestview Strategies, a community advocate and lawyer, and Sarji Carr, co-founder of KWP Communications. When we come back, we're going to talk about the fact that the NDP are on track to pay off their 2021 election debt. I think I'm going to know the answer, at least from one of you, on whether that's good news or whether I asked the question, what took you so long? And we're also <laughs> going to talk a little bit about that that, sort of, <laughs> that fun story that's making the the uh, the travels both on social media and that is of rebel news personality David Menzies. That and more. Stay with us. Deb Hutton filling in for Rashmi Nair on The Rush. Welcome back. It's Deb Hutton filling in this week for Reshmi Nair. Thanks so much for joining me. I will be here till six o'clock and then it's time for CTV News at six where some of the other big stories will be broken down for you uh, and get you home probably safely, we hope, because of the weather that we're seeing out there. Although it doesn't sound right now like it's as bad as we might have thought for the afternoon commute. But in the next few minutes before we get there, it is our smart speaker time. Gratin Singh, VP at Crest View Strategy, Community Advocate and Lawyer, and Sarbjit Kaur, who is the co-founder KPW Communications, both joining me to talk about some of the issues. I joked just before the break that there is a story that says the NDP federally is on track to pay off its 2021 election debt, and it's set to begin building its campaign war chest. I'm going to say, Garatin, you think this is great news as opposed to my view, which is, yeah, what took you so long? Yeah, it, well, it's great news because ultimately, <laughs> in, in preparation for it, demonstrating that the NDP is going to be in a great position for an upcoming election, the NDP has uh, done the hard work, has connected to donors, and more than anything, it shows what the polling is also showing, that people are happy with the work the NDP has been doing. We've seen polls recently that has the NDP neck and neck with the Liberals. Uh, and I think people recognize that when you vote in the NDP, you get things like dental care, like pharmacare, you get uh, leadership that'll fight to make life more affordable in the grocery store and other uh, areas uh, in life and make sure that government's bringing that kind of policy. So uh, I think that, you know, put your money where your mouth is, is what people often say. And and uh, despite despite the criticisms, the numbers, the polling is showing uh, the NDP is in a really good position strategically. Sarjeet? 
Well, that's NDP business, so I wish them well. And uh, <laughs> I do think that, you know, given the, the stuff that they've been able to deliver for Canadians, they deserve uh, they deserve some funds and they deserve uh, they deserve some accolades to be uh, positioned to for the next election. Um, I'm going to take a couple minutes here to try and break this uh, story down as quickly as I can, and I am going to take calls later in the program on it. Bottom line, a 20-year-old individual randomly shot, is accused of randomly shooting five individuals. It it is alleged that it is entirely random. Uh, Five individuals sent to hospital went before a justice of the peace for bail, as we know is the system in this province. The justice of the peace said, I'm going to grant you bail for a few reasons. One, you have no prior record, although no sense of whether there was a young offender's record. At the age of 21, no prior record. Um, Parents posted a $200,000 bond and said that the individual, despite the fact that there was a whole bunch of controversy around whether the parents actually lived where they said they would, how secure that was, but that was part of the uh, justice of the peace's reasoning for granting bail to this individual, and the individual was a member of a racialized community. The Crown was very upset, appealed the decision, and a judge has overturned that decision, and the kid was taken off bail, the young adult, and is uh, no longer out on bail and now is in custody. My question, having run through that very quickly to each of you, and I'll start with you, Gratton, as a lawyer, my question is, is it time for us to update the JP system in this province if we are having justices of the peace who are not lawyers, who, while they have training, are not of that background and are making decisions about, in this case, gun-related bail, and in this specific case, not doing it very well, in my view. This has been an ongoing conversation for a long time, and I think having greater training in these positions is important. I think having lawyers in these positions would make sense, and there's a lot of lawyers out there, and I, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people in the bar who would would be honored to be put in that kind of position. And uh, I think it, it, it's a, an important conversation to have to get greater legal training or even lawyers appointed to these positions uh, to make sure that we're really understanding the law. Sarjeet, I mean, one of the, the counterpoints um, is that... We we have, we have our peers uh, that are not trained uh, as jurors in this province, that this is really many, in many ways, an administrative function. We've been doing it for a long time. And there is a system that oversees these decisions, as was the case in the one I just shared with you, that makes sure that there are checks and balances. Your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, two things. I don't think that if it's a lawyer, no offense to to any lawyers on this panel, that doesn't guarantee that uh, errors or bad decisions won't get made. So that's not necessarily the the solution to this problem. And secondly, yes, is it that their system doesn't work or is it that the system does work? Because at the end of the day, um, this was flagged, it was, uh, you know, appealed, and then the right thing was done. And hopefully this is a learning opportunity for everyone. I would say in general, of if it's a problem and there needs to be anything else done, I always like to look at is this, there's always going to be these off cases that you hear about, they get a lot of attention. Is this a wider problem? Has this been happening on a larger scale? In which case, solutions like better training or looking for more credentials or qualifications could be called for. But it doesn't, for either of you, ring any alarm bells and say automatically we should revisit whether justices of the peace are continuing, are, are able to do this going forward? 
as Sarbi said, like this is actually a case of the system working because it was it, it, there was an appeal process and, and a judge did make a different decision. Okay, but I do think the point is is well taken from from my perspective that you know greater legal training is a good thing in these rules. All right, we're going to go to our callers later in the next hour, as I said, and get your perspective on this story. Of course, in political circles, it's being talked about ad nauseum. Is the case of Rebel News personality David Menzies? He was attempting to interview while walking our Deputy Prime Minister Christopher. Fried- Minister of Finance, uh, appears to have, whether inadvertently or not, bumped into a police officer who was in plain clothes. He was arrested. He was not charged. He was let go. And the question really is one around freedom of the press. Is this overkill? Is this a non-event? Uh, difficult for many of us who have been involved uh, in politics and, and in media and in campaigns to take the personality out of it, I would say, uh, at least for myself, and not make judgments. But the um, leader of the Conservative Party of Canada says this is the state of freedom of the press, obviously saying this is not a good thing. Grattan, I'll start with you, your general perspective on what happened here. Well, I, I, we disagree from the jump because to me, the rebel media are not press. They are not journalists. They are provocateurs. They are people who spread disinformation and incredibly problematic content. Now, Pierre coming forward and tweeting that this is not free from the press to me is laughable because this is an individual who regularly talks down to journalists, belittles them, refuses to engage with them, wants to fire thousands thousands of them by destroying the CBC. He is no friend of journalism. So this is, once again, Pierre doing his performative politics to really speak to his extreme right-wing base that he's beholden to. I don't want to take up all the time. I think uh, Sarbi's going to have a lot of uh, passionate words to us as well. So I'll, I'll yield my time to, to Sarbi. You know, I agree 100%. This is Mr. Defund, the CBC, talking about freedom of the press. So I don't need to repeat what Garatin said on that point. But, you know, I just want to make three points. One, I am a former journalist. I have a degree in journalism. And to say that there are no standards or bar to be a journalist and that anyone can put on a sticker and say that they are media, you know, what's to stop any of us? There are rights. There are responsibilities. We don't have to have that the bar is very high, but at the very least, you have to be objective and you have to be fair. And people can do their own research to see how many, many reasons the rebel media does not fall under that category by any measure. So you don't get a carte blanche to say that you're media and you get to do anything you want. Secondly, this particular individual... Sorry. I'm almost out of time, guys. Quick. Mr. Mr. Menzies has been arrested before. This is not the first time he's done this. It's not partisan. He was arrested for harassing and approaching Melissa Lanceman, a conservative MP. And thirdly, in this exact situation, we weren't there. But what we can see from the video is he did approach her very closely. He did touch the police officer. They made a call to detain him, arrest him. He was released. He wasn't charged. He hasn't suffered anything immensely out of the line with this, but he has a history of this. She felt unsafe. They made a call. That's their job. And I don't even think this idea that he was just picked up off the street, innocent man. He was right in her face. And frankly, friends, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to call it there. We're up against the five o'clock news. Gratton Singh, Sarjeet Kaur, thanks so much for joining me on Smart Speakers this afternoon.